I'm Matt Brailsford. I'm Kevin Jump. And you're listening to Package Manifest. The podcast where we discuss the various aspects of package developer life on the Umbreco platform. We're actually doing this. We are. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about your first podcast? Oh, a bit, a bit nervous. I'm, I'm petrified. Yeah. I know we're pre-recording this, but still, it's uh Well, yeah, it's unnerving. all those it's those thousands and thousands of people that are going to listen to it and worried about <laughs> it. I just, you know, I'm not sure I can cope with the fame. No. That's, yeah. Me neither. Yeah. No. Maybe we should start by saying something about ourselves and why we wanted to do this. Do you want to go first? Yeah. I think you know I didn't want to do this for about <laughs> three weeks until you beat me down. I but, uh, dragged you into it. Yes. So, well, I, I'm Kevin Jump, and I write packages for Umbreco. I think it's what I do now. I I started my own business about seven years ago, and when I started it, I used to tell people, "Oh, I don't do Umbreco. I, I do consultancy. I'm you know like this high flute and flowing, flo- floating around doing consultancy." And it wasn't true then. I used to do Umbreco a lot. And now I do Umbreco and I make packages. And so I suppose I wanted to do this because I thought it'd be interesting. To be honest, I thought it'd be fun. But uh, not necessarily sure now, but we'll see. We'll find out by the end yeah. of it. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm Matt Brailsford. Um, I also run a, my own company, which is predominantly been doing services. And then on the side, package dev for me has always been my way of contributing back to the community. Um, mm. I kind of like the self-contained nature of packages. It just allows me to focus on one particular thing, and it, I know it's all mine. <laughs> yeah, you don't get you don't get clients. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. But yeah, I've done lots of open source stuff, both on my own and with other people. Probably more famously with Lee Kelleher when we've done nested content, stacked content, and all those things. Yeah. I think very early on we'll have, we might have to have a Lee counter. I know. He will get mentioned a lot, won't he? Yeah, he will. But yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so done a lot of open source stuff, and now this last year I've been doing the commercial bits, um, which has taken me away a bit from the open source stuff. But at the same time, I've learned so much about this side of things as well. And I don't think the the sides that get talked about a lot like i think a lot of blog posts are all technical they tell you how to do something like yeah you need you need to use this api you need to implement this thing but they don't necessarily talk about all the other side of things um especially when it comes to commercial there's a there's a lot more than just the building of it but it's true in open source as well so um just the support the management the the collaboration it's a it can be quite tricky, and there's a lot to it besides the development. There is. There's just a big list, isn't there? You start. So I started doing commercial stuff a, a couple of years ago, and you just find this whole list of things. You go, oh, what about that? And then the next day you remember something else, and it just turns into this huge list of things you just do that you didn't realize you, you had to do when you started. Um, yeah. I now know way more about tax than I ever really wanted to. Way more than ta- about tax. <laughs> But we'll get we'll get to that in time. We've got plenty of topics to go through. Um, so I guess we'll give people an idea of the format then, what, what the plan is. 
with the this whole podcast thing. That, that would be good to know. Yeah. So <laughs> I think the idea really is uh, because we've got a lot of topics that could be covered, uh, we'll we'll take an episode at a time and just go through a particular topic that we think would be good to talk about. Predominantly you and me, but I think we can get the occasional guest in there as well to to uh, give other opinions as well. Yeah, it's not just the way we do it all the time, because, you know. No, no. So I counted on the Trello board, because we put a Trello board of topics together. And we're at 35 already, so that's at least two seasons. Oh, that's good, yeah. We'll have to work out what the cliffhanger is for the mid-season break. (laughs) So we've got to end on a cliffhanger. Yeah. Cool. Well, before we get to today's topic, then... um, one thing that listeners might not know about us is that for the last six months or so, we've been doing a stand-up meeting every Friday. And for us, this has been a way of um, sharing our successes, uh, our problems. I mean, we're both uh, solo devs, so we just work on our own anyway. So it's it's good to have somebody to, to bounce ideas from, but also just share new cool things as well. So... I thought it'd be quite interesting if we, we bring an element of that. Those things yeah. last an hour, so I don't think we need to do the whole thing. No. But I think it's quite nice sharing things that we've learned or things that have been going quite well recently in, in our endeavours. So yeah. I think we can start with you. And given yesterday's news, so this is being recorded on a Thursday, and yesterday was the V9 beta launch, and at the same time you, you announced you think ready for... Uh, yeah. the beta i'm pretty sure that's going to be your success point at this this stage uh, yeah, i think it was it was yes it, the, the main success is there it worked because uh i've been following the nightlies for the last couple of days because i've thought i didn't think it would be ready for the beta about a week ago because mm. uh, there was but then a load of stuff just fell into place at the last minute and then i'm going off there was nightly releases and i'm like there hadn't been any for a week, and I'm like, "There's going to be changes. I'm going to upgrade it, and it's just going to all collapse." But, yeah. uh, but it worked, and so there, I went, "Yay!" It, it worked. It's out the same time. Yeah, I, I felt a little bit. I wasn't sure whether I should say it while they were still launching nine. I didn't want to, <laughs> like, but then it's like, "But it's done, and you, you can do it now." I just got overexcited, really. So, yeah, you wanted the yeah. glory. Yeah, I'm all after the glory. I mean, I think that might come out as a theme of the podcast that it's all about the glory. <laughs> so. Loads of likes. No, I mean, I'm I'm impressed. I know. Yeah. I we've been talking about the .NET Core stuff for quite a while, yeah. and I'm still stuck in the planning phase. Um, I've got a well, I've got a long way to go, but I'm it. It's pretty impressive that you managed to get the beta done for using already. I think some of the stuff that's come out from our talks is that I dive in and just do it, and then get stuck later on. And you plan. And then it yeah. comes out, and much, more, and we end up at about the same place. But uh, well, I'm I, I'm letting you I'm letting you go through all the the pain and the suffering, and then I'm just going to steal all your yeah, your knowledge, make all the mistakes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that'll be fine. <laughs> no, that's cool. So, so what have you been up to this week? Uh um, planning. So yeah, <laughs> I, I'm just looking a lot at kind of uh, from a vendor perspective how I do get. Uh, vendor to .NET Core. So I've probably changed my strategy of what I thought I was going to do like 20 times already. 
I did a blog post for Script not that long ago, which was a bit of a brain dump at the beginning of this yeah. kind of thought process. And I've kind of gone through several iterations and now I'm back at probably one of those those options. Um, so it's not necessarily a success, but I'm just trying to get my head around things at the moment, um, but yeah. trying to learn what's what's a good approach. So the interesting thing for vendor is going to be there's there's a lot of plugin elements to to vendors. So we've got the thing of payment providers. So it's just being careful at whatever approach we go down for the uh, conversion into .NET Core. We need to make sure that we don't end up with a management nightmare of like every payment provider needing two versions, every add-on that we've yeah. done needing two versions. That would instantly get get kind of tricky. So yeah, we're spending quite a lot of time on on uh, on planning. Uh, how we do it i'm hopefully going to write a blog post about the the route that we do end up choosing and then see what what people think because i think that's going to be the the thing that drives uh our approach is is what our customers kind of want from it yeah yeah i mean i'm going to be stealing that from you because translation manager the one i haven't touched yet it's very similar we've got uh, yeah. connectors to services yeah. We don't want five copies of them for every no. version. So, and I'm just pretending that the new UI in version ten isn't even there. I'm trying to plan a little bit around it, but when you don't know anything, it's it's tricky. Um, mm. I'm just I'm just trying to think about that. I might need two UIs at some point, so trying to architect the UI API layers around that. But beyond that, I've got no clue as to yeah. to what they're going to be. So. It's, it's take a good stab at it now and hope it all lines up later on, I think. Yep. Um, but we're getting there. We're getting there. So today's, uh, or what we wanted to do for this episode is, given this is the first one, we thought it would be quite interesting to talk about firsts. Um, yep. I guess the logical place to start on that would be what do you remember as being your first ever Umbraco package? Well, I had to go check is the answer. Mm. Uh, my first Umbraco package, that's on our. So I think, and I do think it was my first, was a starter kit. So I did the local Gov starter kit, oh, which yeah. I think we did for V4. We might have done it for V4. We definitely did it for V6. But it so it it was more at the time I was working in the council. I was running like a team, and uh, we were building the site in Umbraco. And it was more trying to get my head around how it worked. And yep. we we a large site, so the starter kits at the time were all great for you know marketing sites and small sites there. But a local government site, hundreds and hundreds of information pages. So it was how do you organise that in Umbraco? How does the navigation work? And so built a starter kit basically with that type of structure and site to it to see how it works. And then it was quite good. I was using it myself just for quickly spinning the site up. That's how it goes. And I thought, well, starter kit, you press a button, it's a package. Ooh, look, I can publish this. So that was my first package, really, the starter kit. But the starter kit got used quite a lot, didn't it? Because I, I seem to remember quite a few councils. And, and, yeah, uh, I think... I think at, we counted and probably got up to 14 or 15 councils used it in the UK. And actually it got used by quite a lot because it was an information site. Quite a lot of people use it. There's a water sanitation department somewhere in Florida. 
that use it. I know because I get spam because they didn't change one of the default email addresses. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's all spammed now. But it's like it was just bizarre. And that's sort of the power of the the open source and the global. You just don't realize it goes everywhere. Yeah. So we built it for councils in the UK, but quite a lot of people did pick it up as a sort of starting point. But I think the interesting thing with that was I seem to recall that councils started talking to each other more as well. Like the fact that yeah. they were all using the starter kit, I, I remember at the time, at least on Twitter, like weren't councils making mini events where they would come together and share ideas on that kind of yeah, stuff? Yeah, yeah. There was an umblocal gov, which actually another council organised because I remember I went to at least one of them. It was in Shropshire, I think. It was, it was quite good. It was, there was a number of people came together because... I mean, they're doing similar things now, I think. I'm sort of stepped back a bit from local government stuff, so I don't really know. But, uh, yeah, no, it was interesting. They got a lot of people talking. And so, yeah, it was cool. So yours, obviously, a much bigger list because it goes a lot further back. What do you think your first package was? It's a much bigger list, but I think my the ones at the beginning were really quite simple, and I think my first one was a document sorter. So... It it was probably for version four, and all at the time. So things like the the list view didn't exist, yeah. so it wasn't that easy to kind of find your way through content. Mm. It it was all in the tree. So if you had a lot of nerds, you just had one long tree, um, and so this package would effectively hook into the save process and just automatically sort them into like date order or alphabetical order. So if you're doing things like news uh, or blog blog sections, then this thing would just automatically sort the tree for you. I mean, do that all the time. Yeah, mm. Large sites with loads of news. I remember when we did it in the council. I don't think we used the package, but I think we just told people to put it in the right folder. But yeah, <laughs> but, uh, yeah the news was huge. Yeah. So, yeah, I did that. I think that was the first one. I think probably one of the first bigger ones that I did was probably desktop media uploader i think that was quite an early one oh yeah uh so that was at the time it's interesting these things usually get born out of necessity so at the time i used to work in a company that was uh, representing fine artists so essentially they were building mini websites for yeah. the the artists they represent and obviously they had a, a lot of images that they they needed on the website and to be able to upload and manage. Again, this was in V4 days when media wasn't as nice as it was and you couldn't just drag and drop uh, media items into the back office. You had to physically click the upload button one at a time, uploading files. So the idea with Desktop Media Uploader was I I started out as a Flash developer. So I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> it makes sense to here. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I started out as a Flash developer and Desktop Media Uploader was a mini Flash application that you could run on, on your computer and would connect to um, a couple of API endpoints and would essentially allow you to upload like stacks of media items and it would just churn away at them like, and upload them one by one and yeah. generate the right the right uh, media items in the back, back end. Uh, so yeah, because we had a lot of images, this was really useful for us. So I thought it'd be pretty cool to to put out, and that was probably one of the first that was really quite popular for me. 
So, so you're able to stop supporting that now because they've taken Flash out of yeah. Chrome. So, no more emails. This is quite funny because we actually got an email. What was it about a week two ago that uh, Adobe officially announced that or stopped Adobe uh, Flash Player altogether? And we actually got an email and a call from somebody saying, "What What are you doing now with Desktop Media Uploader?" And I was like, "Wow, I didn't even know anybody was still using this thing. I didn't even know it still worked." So, <laughs> <it's> like, <laughs> so yeah, unfortunately, we couldn't kind of do anything for that customer. But I was just like, "Wow, people are are still using those those early packages to some yeah. degree." I mean, I guess somebody's still on version four somewhere. Someone somewhere is, yeah. So desktop media uploader was given that we're talking about firsts. I think that was probably also my first uh, Umbraco package that was swallowed into core or taken on Ooh. by core. So that was my first experience of of uh, something that I've done, then being part of the core product. Yeah, which at the time was like wow. That, I hadn't done much in terms of giving code away or giving things away. And it's, yeah. it's it's a really interesting kind of feeling at that point that the people that built the product that I'm using, they think the thing that I wrote is worth being in it. Yeah. And That's cool. Yeah. I was really pleased when I got that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had a few more since then, so it's fine. I've... Well, well, you have. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've got anything like as a package in the core at all. I've done pull requests over the years. So, and I remember my first pull request into the core was a one character pull request. And I think it was a regex expression. So there was an S. I distinctly remember the S. So was, wow. Yeah, it made a massive difference. Yeah. Well, the so the thing with desktop media uploader being uh, taken on by core, a flip side to the so the niceness of it being uh, taken yeah. on was I was responsible for a security flaw. Oh. So, <laughs> yeah. So that API endpoint that you upload media to, it was also able to kind of list folders. So like in the application, you were able to list what folder was in the, the back office and be able to yeah. upload files to. And so, yeah, it, it created a, a little security hill where people could see files on the server. Nice. <laughs> That has been fixed, so, you know. Oh, I'm sure it has, well, and it's not supported anymore, so that's okay. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> so was, was package development then your first foray into open source? It was really, yeah, because I'd, up until that point, I'd, I'd worked in development inside large organizations where you're just writing code for whatever you're doing, and it doesn't leave, it never has a purpose outside of the company you're working for. It was all internal stuff. And so there was never really a, a need. And it was, you know, it just didn't seem there was any need to open source it. And we weren't actually leaning on open source that much either at the time. And then when we were in the council, we moved from a large mega CMS proprietary one. And we were looking for a CMS and we found Umbreco. And then that essentially was the first introduction to the open source elements, really. And so it was a bit of an eye-opener that, A, all the code was there. Never mind that you could then also contribute to it. So the packages were were, were that, the start of Git, probably the first bit of code I put on GitHub or wherever it was at the time. Probably wasn't even GitHub. And, uh, for other people to look at. 
So do you think the open source, the fact that Umbraco itself was open source, is that what encouraged you to to do that side of things I think as it, well? I think it was, yeah. I think we wouldn't have done that. If it was if we were using another CMS and we had, then we would have just been writing code ourselves and not sharing it with anybody. Because yeah. most CMSs even now don't have the same, the proprietary ones, the idea of you sharing the open source code around them. Whereas if you can see the code of the CMS you're running or the product you're running, it sort of lends itself that the code you're going to write is up, might as well be visible as well. Because you've seen the benefit of having, being able to find the code and debugger. I guess it was the same for me, that Umbraco was the first time that I started really kind of doing the open source thing and putting my source code out there. Yeah. Um, I think I managed to find an old forum post. So, so I'm actually on the forum, our Umbraco, under a different name. Ooh. So I used to ha- I used to go by um, the name Gradiation. And one of the first things that I gave away, so it wasn't a package, uh, but I was asking about a Markdown editor. Um, yeah. And I can, on the forum post on there, it's the first time that I shared some code. Um, I don't think I'd really done that before. So, so is that bit of code still supported as well? Or is that, that expired? I think, I don't know. <laughs> if you read the forum post, somebody say, somebody claims that that code was then what Lee used, Lee Kelleher used for his Markdown editor. So, you know, it, it, wow. it lives on through Lee. Yes, don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it, were, it is interesting that Umbraco sparked that that thing of, yeah. of being open. And I think it was definitely down to the forums and the community. Um I'm not so big in the forums now, but I know I was in the beginning, and to me there was a real, a real sense of community. You went there, and you got to know people, and you were chatting and sharing stuff, and it was really quite open. And I think that 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 to me is what really encouraged me to do those types of things and and put myself out there. Yeah, I think I've done a phase of being quite active on the community forums as well, and I think. They've, they've they've always been really nice forums for that they've not been yeah everyone's sort of been open to what you've been talking about and not immediately judging why people are asking the questions and that sort of leads you to be more more open with the people there and to talk more around and there's much more of a community on the forum than other forum sites we know where they'll just say why are you doing that's the worst way ever to do something yeah. and even now if i'm on the forums i always try you look at if someone asks a question and you're like that's really odd. I don't know why you're doing it like that. But I would never put that in the phone. You'd go, well, if you want to do it like that, this is probably how you would do it. And that's, I think, an approach a lot of people have taken around the Umbraco community forums. And that's that's one of the reasons I think they are really a good place to go. I guess it's that thing of just keep giving people the benefit of the doubt that they might not know. You were there at some point, so help steer them, but you don't need to jump down on anybody do you really it's yeah. it's trying to that's what i saw as well like when i was on the forums it was it was that thing of you were praised almost for having a go um yeah i think in the early days i i answered a lot of forum posts and i didn't really know um but i put an answer out there and somebody would come back and say that that'll work but he's like you can do this this and this as well you might not know that and it was really interesting you got into these conversational kind of uh to and fro and that's how i i think that's how i learned a lot yeah 
And I mean, we've all done the the thing where you start, you get somebody else's code, and you go, I don't know, I don't know why they've written it like this, and go, I'll just do it myself and start again, and then four days, four weeks later, you end up with almost identical code and go, that's why it was like that. And I yeah. think when I go to the forums, it's like, I don't know why you're necessarily approaching it from this point, but you probably have a really valid reason I don't know, and I don't need to know. So judging you on asking, how do I do it this way? I, I, I just slowly say, if you want to do it this way, that's how you can do it this way. Yeah. yeah. I guess that's true of the package development side of things as well. Cause, yeah. I mean, certainly for me, I, I learn, I've always learned by looking at other people's source code, really. I've, I'm not a massive book reader, personally. No. I, I tend to like to look through source code to other people's solutions and and really try and understand what their thought process was to build what they built. Um, so I think I probably spent a lot of time in the early early days looking through other people's open source um, packages yeah. and learning how to do package development that way. Yeah. Was that would that have been the same for you? Or? Very similar, yeah. And I mean, especially the Umbreco source code. I mean, even now, it's like. I mean, this is why some of the V9 stuff I can do is because I'm looking at the source code, not the docs, because I'm much more comfortable with the source code. So I'll look and say, how's this done? Oh, it's done like that. Okay, if I want to do something similar. I, I'm like you there. I find the code much easier to read than sometimes the explanations of it or the concept. I need to see it actually working. And so it, it's the Umbreco source code and then the packages to say well, exactly how someone done that clever thing. Yeah, and the great thing about it with the code there is you can just sort of pick it up and go. Oh, they've done it like that's quite interesting. No, yeah. I, I'm exactly the same now as well. Mm. So I think whenever I I'm doing anything to do with vendor, I can guarantee there's an Embraco uh, project open as well. And yeah. it's exactly the same. I like yeah. if I need something, I'll I'll think, oh, how would like what's something similar that exists in Embraco right now? So if I need to do a list view, or I need to do a menu, or I need to do a filter. I'm like, what is something that I've seen in Umbraco that does that? And then I'll go hunt down in the source code um, where that happens, and then I'll just investigate around that thing and think, oh, so they're, they're doing this in the Angular side of things. They've got this kind of thing set up in the the API yeah. controllers and those types of things. But I'll 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 do exactly that. I'll have Umbraco open, go find the thing that kind of represents that a little bit learn how they did that and then I'll I'll reuse that in in what I'm doing. So even now I still use the source code just like you to to base everything that I'm I'm building on. Yeah, I've got two or three different copies of Umbraco with the different versions now. Mm. And I just open them in something like Visual Studio Code and then I'm just searching them all the time. Yeah. You know, finding it that way. Yeah. What was the first package that you ever got paid for? Not necessarily one that uh, is commercial, but did you ever get paid for doing any kind of package development? I did get paid to do some using development early on before we went all commercial on the other half of it. The there was an agency wanted we we'd gone we'd gone to version seven, and we were building the version seven stuff. But an agency came to us and was like, "It doesn't quite work in version six and they wanted to do a lot of work. And we're like, "Well, I can do it," but you know trendy new framework over here. I'm, I'm working on all this trendy Angular stuff in version <laughs> 7. It's great. And they were like, okay, well, so we went back and we uh, they paid us a reasonable amount, a couple of weeks' work, just to tidy it up. And to be honest, that led quite a lot. That t- that gave us a big kick in tidying up version 7 one as well. So it sort of paid off. 
on the work. That was the first time anyone gave us money for doing the package stuff. Mm. And, and and I think that might have happened again, but not to the same scale. So I've I think the first um paid package dev that I ever got, a council came to me and they already had an Umbraco install set up. Um but they wanted some specific features. And I think they understood about packages within Umbraco. So they came and pitched the work as being, we need this thing in the back office. Can you build a package for us? So I can't fully remember what they were. One was to do with expiring content. So they needed a dashboard to be able to see. I think content had, like, it had to be refreshed within a certain time frame and yeah. be kept up to date. And so they just needed a dashboard that would display um, the content and when it's due to expire. And so they came to me and asked for that. But in the interestingly, in that concept of can you build this as a package for us so that we can install it on our solution and potentially on like some other council projects that they're working on. So I think that was probably the first time I ever got yeah. paid to actually produce a package. So it was like a completely closed sourced as well for them. Yeah, it was yeah. for them, yeah. Um, but I found that interesting. And I think that's, from that point on, I started to think like, can can you do this kind of thing? So I, I know I pitched to a few clients where it was, um, in the freelance world, there's probably quite a lot of Umbraco developers now. Uh, yeah. Which, I mean, there's plenty of work out there. It's also what what work are you interested in? So at the time, I started pitching, saying, "Well, you can use these uh, uh, these freelancers that are probably cheaper to do the bulk of your work, but maybe come to us if you need some kind of more complicated stuff." And yeah. could could we do those as packages for people? I don't think we ever really got no. <laughs> any work from that. Sounds like a great idea. Yeah, it was a great idea, but it didn't work out. But it was. Yeah. That was, I think, the start of me really thinking that packages could be uh, more than yeah. was probably than they were being treated in in the community. I guess. Yeah. I think I think early on packages were like if you just if you made something or you did something and you just wanted to give it out for people to use at any point, you would just package it up and put it out. Uh, there's there wasn't as much. Um, I it, there wasn't documentation. There wasn't websites telling you how to install it or use it. It was it was literally put it out there and yeah. let people use it if they, they they could figure out how to use it. And this to me was the start of thinking. Well, actually, there could be more to this than just that side of things. Yeah. Did you have a switch as to when you thought it was a bit more commercial? possible not necessarily not necessarily commercial though i think more it could be more than just being something to throw a code out you could packages were starting to become more important in in your own mind i mean that the, being paid for the usync work did did give us actual paid work for doing what we'd been doing anyway to some extent mm. and usync grew so we did it in version four and it just got bigger and bigger and it's now you know across all the versions so the support for that was just keeping that going was quite a lot of effort. And I think the commercial stuff certainly helped us justify that. I think we were getting to the point from the other side. I was going, this is great. 
and it's been used loads, which is, you know, we're all in it for the kudos. And everyone was using it, but then there was equally a lot of support for it. And it, the nature of Usync was when something in Umbraco changes, we need to keep Usync up to date with it. And so we were getting to the point of, this is great and everyone's using it. I mean, an awful lot of people are using it, but how do we justify the work? Because it was becoming a thing that was more than just, you know, a weekend, do this at five minutes here, 10 minutes there. It was like taking days on it. And I really enjoyed it. And so when we get some payment for that, it's like, well, that's great. We can justify spending two or three weeks on Usync now. And so that sort of became the, I wonder how, how else can we do that where the package stuff's really interesting. How can we get to the point where the package stuff, we essentially get paid for the bits we enjoy doing loads because, all right, working with clients, but they can be a bit annoying sometimes. You have to do what they want. <laughs> <laughs> so so that, that's where it came from. And I mean, that sort of fell into Translation Manager was the first proper commercial package. But mm. that's because around when we'd come to realize that we could do it and we'd done some stuff and gone, actually, it's not a million miles away from the way Usync works. It's more about text and numbers. It was if we do this, it's going to be a lot of support work and a lot of work to do. It's probably going to be comparable to how much work we're currently doing for free on Usync. It's like, I can't do two. There's yeah. no way I'll get away with doing Usync half the week and Translation Manager the other half and not getting any money in. So that's sort of where we came to it of, well, that one's going to, if we put money against that one, we can justify it, really, justify doing the fun thing. And that's sort of how we got to the, the, the commercial end of it, really. We fell into commercial. So Translation Manager was your first proper commercial package then? It was, yeah. I mean, before that, we'd actually tried something which was not Umbraco at all. So we did a, uh, going back to the local government stuff, when we built that site, we did this thing called a top task survey where revolutionally for local government, they ask people what they thought was important <laughs> on the website. But the way it did it was quite clever. And it was, uh, you, you, you get down to about 100 and odd things and you say, which of these five things are important? And of those five things, which is the most important, but it was done with like a really simple survey. It was quite, I didn't believe it was going to work because I thought the survey would get in the way, but we did it with the survey and it did work. But then later on, I'm like, do that better. So sort of sketched out the idea of something that was just at the time was basically nice big boxes. You tick the boxes, drag and drop them into orders. And we wrote that as a .NET core app. I think it was .NET 2 at the time. And uh, we did software as a service. So we did it open source, so it was on GitHub. But we also chucked it onto an Azure platform and said, if you want to do it, you can pay. It does free surveys up to a certain number, but you could pay and have a go. So that was the first commercial thing we tried, like as a code, really. Yeah. Didn't work. It's all about four of them. So so it didn't really make any money. But that actually was just before we, that was like a year or two before we did Translation Manager. So we were always trying this. Is there a way of doing it as code? getting paid for the code as opposed to the getting paid for the, the developing it for one client, yeah. writing the code once and then sort of becoming software. And so we did that, and that, but then we did do Translation Manager was the first Umbraco-related package we went for. Still, I still remember when you presented that at UK Fest. And yeah. every, everybody was just like, it was insane. I think everybody's yeah. probably tried to do translations in Umbraco at the time which the only thing you had really was the the dictionary section. No, the, there was a translation section. but well, Because the reason we actually did it is because I was talking to uh, an agency in Liverpool, just just it had a relationship, it wasn't really work. And the developer said to me, how do you do translations in Braco? And I went, I don't know, never, never thought about it. So I went off and had a look, and there was a translation section, and it was from like V4, and it's 
chucked a load of XML out of what it was over in the database. And but it wasn't transactional and it didn't cater for the grid and all the new stuff. It's just like I went back to him and went, You don't. You just can't. It just doesn't yeah. work. Theory it works, but in practice I can see how it falls apart. And it's like, well, that's that's like that's we sort of saw it and we really could probably do something here. And then it's that's when we looked at it and went, Well, it's very similar to Usync. So what Usync does is it goes through every element, finds all of the well, used to. Find all the IDs and map them between your two servers. Yeah. But all this does is go in and find all the text. So it's so it's the same sort of principle going into all of the properties and getting the text out, sending it for translation and then putting it back in the right place. And so then we're like, well, this is actually very similar to what we've already got. So we've almost got a leg up to doing translation manager as well, which is probably what persuaded us to actually do it. Was that bit was we had a head start in getting the code mm. in. But I remember that uh, doing it in UK festivals as well, and I mainly was felt really bad that I was charging for it. I know, and that's what surprised me the most. I think, I think everybody who saw that presentation at UK Fest was just saw the amount of work that went into it, because the translation stuff that was in core was very basic, and then this mm. was just everything that you would want from translations. And I think I can't remember what you were charging at the time. I'm, I'm assuming you probably it was about six or seven hundred pounds at the time. I think for that one, oh, five hundred. I think I thought at the time you were just seriously undercharging for well, the amount uh, of work that you'd done. Pe- pe- people do sell me a still am, but uh, and we've raised the price. But <laughs> but no, I, I that's because at that point I don't think there was anything comparable outside of e-commerce. No. Yeah. So there was a couple of packages at the hundred pound mark. That were like someone had done something, and you go fair enough. There's a little, you know. That I understand totally why they're doing. I'm not against people charging at all, but there wasn't this almost low level enterprise price. Yeah. Of and I mean, we 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 pitched the price based on guessing how many we'd sell and how much effort was in there. So it was all about translation. Isn't every not everyone in Umbraco translates, and Umbraco isn't the world's most used CMS. No. So the number's quite small. So we were guessing uh, how many we sell in a year to cover the cost of development. But yeah, it still felt quite alien at the time to do it. I think they were obviously a breed prior to what I would say is the current wave of commercial developers. So there was your Doug Robars, your Richard Sudermans. But yeah. I think a lot of those seem to follow. Um, so Umbraco have, like Umbraco Forms, did they have another commercial one? I can't quite yeah, remember. Courier, I believe yes. that's what you called. Yeah. Yes. But I think a lot yeah. of pricing, anybody who was doing package development commercially was essentially trying to follow the same rules as Umbraco at the time or whatever their pricing strategy was. Yeah. It's to try and be the same. Whereas I think, for me at least, I, I remember Translation Manager as being one of the first that started to really think, well, no, there's, there's more to the add-on. Like, yeah. there's more worth in the add-on than just, like you say, a couple of hundred dollars or something for a domain license. Mm. I think the general pattern was quite really quite cheap for a domain license, a server license and a, an agency license, yeah. which was more expensive. That used to be the pattern in the what I saw in a lot of the older packages. Yeah, well, I mean, we pitched it. We, we thought it was, it was equally, because it was translation, it's a reasonably big website development you're going under so it's not like everyone's using it you you can translate for two languages anyway for free with it 
But it was like, if you're translating a website with five, into five or six languages or, or more, and we've had up to like 50 odd, then you've got a budget. <laughs> you yeah. know, you're building a big site. So you can, we can justify, we're not going to get people saying that's just far too expensive. But that's not why we put it at that price. But that's like, we, we thought we couldn't, we're only going to sell. I think we thought it'd be good if we sold one a month was like yeah. roughly when we were guessing how much we'd sell them for. And so we were like, that's hardly anyone's going to really want to need this. It's at the top end of the market. So it's it's against, well, actually, it's like at the time, it's one day's development costs. Yeah. It's like it's like trying to work out how much time do we think we're saving people? It, will they go, that's far too expensive. But then it's like, well, you're building a big website. So you probably can build this cost in, which means it's probably affordable. But and, and then we just but we backtracked and said, Well, what do we need to cover our costs? And it needs to be this much money. But yeah. I, and as you say, everyone thinks we're low bold. We probably did. So yeah. I guess it's the fear of putting your your head above Yeah. And uh, above the parapet and, and rocking the boat of what pricing strategies used to be. Yeah. Uh, but it was definitely one that made me I I thought you were undercharging. But yeah. I see why you did charge what you did. But it was definitely a change to me that was like really promising for other mm. package developers that that there is opportunity there. Yeah, um, and that was certainly true at the time. There was a there was a culture that it was certainly sad that you that packages aren't there for people to make money from. There was that was sort of being said was do the work consultancy the packages shouldn't cost. Yeah. But I didn't think you could do packages that like the the commercial ones now. You can't do them in your spare time. No, the, the, there's there's far far too much in them now. I think at yeah. that, that that level to, to to be something that is just done when you've got ten minutes. Yeah, I'd agree yeah. with that. Yeah, I know. I think for me, first commercial, I was probably trying to think of something to do at the time, and then I heard through the grapevine that T-Commerce, which was an e-commerce platform, which we'd used, we'd built a few websites ourselves for the clients using it and really thought it was a good solution. But we heard through the grapevine that they were looking for somebody to take that project on. And I'll admit, I'm not like the most kind of e-commerce fanatic, but I loved the package. I loved like yeah. how it was built, what it did, and it's the ethos behind how it was developed. And because I'd been looking to get into that commercial space and see if I could actually do this package development thing for a living, like I love doing the package side of things. It just seemed like a perfect fit for me. And so we we spoke to uh, T Solutions, uh, said we'd love to take it on. I mean, we're we're only a one man team, but I very much wanted to pivot what we were doing away from customers and services and building yeah. websites for for clients, and just say if we can make like just a decent living, we're not we're not kind of making millions here. But if I can afford to to focus on the package development, then that to me was exactly what I wanted out of a commercial package. The scary thing with e-commerce for me is just how many things lined up with that. Yeah. That it, it just all seemed to fit into place. That I knew V8 was coming at the time, and one of the the things with taking on e-commerce was knowing that we would need to re redo it for V8 
So this yeah. was like when V8 was about to come out. So we we took a lot of time and built vendor based on on e-commerce and just spending so much time working in package development and not on the client stuff that was that was perfect for me it's and the dream isn't it it is it is <laughs> so we were we were getting paid like with yeah. e-commerce license sales so we're still selling e-commerce licenses nice. now and nobody knew what was coming in terms of covid and all that kind of stuff but if we hadn't had done e-commerce we wouldn't we wouldn't be uh where we are at the end of yeah. all of this so that's seen as through both e-commerce and vendor are seen as through license wise yeah. um through that kind of era but yeah just everything seemed to line up on that one and that it kind of scared me and <laughs> made me happy at the same time so so who, did you i suppose you already had e-commerce customers so did you get your first who was your first customer? I don't know who, but you remember your first customer for that for your commercial package when someone bought Fender the first time. I don't know. Oh. I don't know. So you, you had you had the luxury of e-commerce, and you were just getting money coming in all the time. When I wrote translation, <laughs> when I wrote translation manager, it was a good two months from the day yeah. we released it to the day someone bought it, and they yeah. were just the two months of. Oh, it's wrong. It doesn't work. There's something. I mean, we were saying you're not gonna. No one buys it. And you install. You're building a project. You probably buy a license near the end of the project when you actually need to translate the website. Well, that didn't stop the constant panic of no yeah. one's buying this. We've spent all this time writing it and gone all to this effort, and it's just gonna sit there and it's gonna die. No one's yeah. gonna get it. And then, and then we did get uh, one or two licenses came in just before. I think it was Christmas. We got a couple before Christmas. It was great. Best thing ever. Little happy dance. So I don't know where you win when people buy uh, our product now. Obviously, we've got emails fly around from the, the, the main system, but we have the ones that go to us, and they have little smileys and say, happy, happy, joy, joy. <laughs> so we still do that even now. Great. Well, Lucy Lucy makes a, a whooping noise every time we get yeah. a license sale, so yeah. we haven't got anything automated, but yeah. No, uh I would have thought with your hardware background, you'd have a bell or an alert <laughs> or a light going off. I've, I've thought about it, but I'm really not that. I'm not the hardware side, so no, no, haven't got the time for that at the moment. But no, it, no, it's quite cool, though. Uh, quite interesting actually. Sorry, um, you're right that we did us taking on e-commerce. We already had an idea of what the sales were, so we mm. didn't probably have that same fear as you did. So, because you obviously went away for months developing, uh, yeah. like translation manager, put it out there, and you've literally just got to wait to see if anybody's really going to yeah. buy that. Well, we actually took the decision. I was working with another agency about two or three months, and I took the decision to stop the work with them. So that I was contracting before mm. we started it. Still from the company, but we were just doing some contracting, and I was making loads of money contracting. You know, day day rates are great, <laughs> but I consciously was like, can carry on doing this for a number of months, but my own business isn't my own business while I'm contracting to somebody else, and so consciously took the check to step off and actually go. We're going to spend two months. We built the money up. We could spend two months doing this translation manager stuff and seeing if it works. But it's going to be two months where we're not getting that nice day rating, and then yeah. there was two more months before anyone started buying it. And in fact, the reality is, for that first year or two, it wasn't covering its costs at all. We were also doing other work, but uh, yeah, 
it was really interesting. I mean, I'm paranoid now about cost. No one buys it in a week or two, and I'm like, oh, it's over. It's all gone. It's the end. <laughs> <laughs> That's it now. No one's ever going to buy anything from us ever again. So. so have you got any more firsts, do you think? Oh, this is my first end of a podcast. First end. First end. I was going to say, so, how do you end the podcast? I don't know. Uh, uh, no, neither do I. We've just got to <laughs> keep talking. Before. Yep. Fade it. <laughs> we'll just carry on talking this bit and you just fade it and it's gone. <laughs>